Hey, welcome to another edition of the Indoor Environment Show. I'm Bob Krell, uh, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, Healthy Indoors Media. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Don Weeks, who is the president of the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, coming to us live from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And we're in sunny Syracuse. It's actually sunny today here. Weather's good. You're, you're, oh, that's you're, good. Canadian wildfires have stopped clouding my sky, so we're, we're, we're a little bit better shape now. <laughs> yeah, they're out west now, British Columbia and all that area. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, th th it made it real for us though this year because yeah. all these years of hearing about the West Coast wildfires, you know, here on the East Coast, especially for us, we never were impacted. It didn't appear to be impacted by it. That's not to say we didn't weren't impacted a little bit by uh, high levels of PM two point five, which I think might be in the discussion today. Uh, you anyway. never know. Yeah, so that's so. Um, yeah, but anyway, I remember the first morning waking up and going out to the orange sky, going, "This isn't right." Right. It was yeah. a pretty, pretty messy deal to say the least. So it reminded me of the Red Planet or something like that, some science yeah. fiction. It, it was crazy. As my my mm -hmm. wife goes, is, "Is like, is there anything bad?" And I go, "I literally took out a laser particle counter and I'm looking, you know, uh, you know, doing that count, and doing the uh, PM two point five extrapolation." I go, "Yeah, put out a freaking N ninety five before you go out of the house. The weather is not good out there." Um, so, no, it was pretty anyway. pretty messy. So anyway, we have a good show today. Two um, uh, good um, recent uh, graduates from um, from Purdue University. First before is you introduce, before sure. you introduce, I got to cut you yep. off because I didn't do the plug for our sponsoring yep. organizations. So no uh, our broadcast, the uh, the Indoor Environment Show, is a joint collaboration between ISEAC, the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate, and IEQGA, the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, and uh, produced by us at Healthy Indoors Media and Healthy Indoors Magazine. Okay, sorry, we're good now. <laughs> No problem. Uh, we have two two good guests today. Uh, first one up is uh, Satria Sundar Patra, and uh, he is a graduate research assistant at Purdue University. He's also in the process of earning his PhD in civil engineering. His interest and dissertation is on indoor particle dynamics in residential buildings, from a few nanometers to lens to the lens of micrometers. And I'm sure he'll explain that to us. So, hello. How are you today? Bringing everybody in here. Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. We're doing fine. And our second guest is um, Gordon uh, Cross, who has earned her master's degree in environmental and ecological engineering and will continue into her do doctor of philosophy and civil engineering this month, um, August 2023. Her concentration in her research is focused on indoor air quality assessment and impact on human health and well-being. And since 2021, she's been a graduate research assistant at Purdue University College of Engineering. So welcome to you too as well. Hello. And I wanted to point out to everyone that uh, the program, those many of you watching the show uh, live on uh, the Healthy Indoors Global Community Platform. Uh, this is the website. It's global.healthyindoors.com forward slash over indoor environments. And you can just go on the left tab over in, on the browser there and find the indoor environment show. And also this uh, recording, the video uh, recording, as well as an audio podcast version will be available there after the program. And it's free. Eh? Anyway. Great. It's always good to have free. There's no doubt about that. Free is better than not free. You're right. Exactly. All right. So let's, uh, I'm going to alternate between the two of you in terms of questions. So I'm going to start first with uh, Satra. And, you know, as I stated um, in the uh, introduction, you were, uh, well, you, you started your in university education at uh, Indian Institute of Technology, ITT, with a integrated bachelor's degree and master's degree in technology 
in civil engineering. You're currently attending PH, uh, Purdue University for PH, PhD in civil engineering. Could you, two, could you tell the, uh, the audience how each of these degrees are related? Sure. So uh, both my degrees at IIT and at Purdue are in engineering. So in my bachelor's and master's degree, I learned the foundation of engineering and being in the stream of civil engineering, it taught me how to think critically about engineering better living spaces. Now in my PhD, I am using those basics to uh, really focus on something that is the quality of air inside living spaces. So for me, in all these degrees, it's like uh, I learned earlier the concepts in my bachelor's and master's and now using it in application during my PhD. So, I mean, the uh, first degree that you got in, in, um, in out in India, India Institute of Technology, were you thinking at that point that you might get into something involving indoor air quality? Uh, so when I enrolled, I would say no. Like when I started, it was more like, okay, fine, I'm exploring different options in civil engineering. But then as like I learned more about each of the individual topics, then I got a scholarship to do my research here at Purdue University as an undergrad researcher. So that's when like I thought, okay, fine, I need to do something in the indoor air quality. Okay, that's good. All right. And uh, Jordan, you, you started your university education at Florida A&M with a bachelor's degree in psychology. Then you attended Purdue University for a master's of science in e ecological and environmental engineering. And you're also earning a doctorate in philosophy and civil engineering from Purdue. Can you tell us how each of these degrees are related? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I believe that like if you're engineering and designing systems, you should certainly consider these systems and how they affect like the users and the residents in the indoor environment, of course, uh, indoor air pollutants impact like cognitive function, uh, as we know. And we don't necessarily consider this all the time with like household products and building materials and things of this nature. So I am very interested in like the psychological and physiological aspects of the materials that we use in the indoor environment. So I believe like that's how they are connected, like how these are all intertwined. I'm really uh, interested in how these products when they're like brought into our homes, how like what like volatile organic compounds uh, impact like our mental health, like how we interact with, um, I guess how we, how we process like our own emotions, how if they like distract us, if they make our stress levels like change, if they increase our heart rate, if they lower our heart rate, increase our blood oxygen saturation, things like that. And I think that is like directly tied to like indoor air quality and how we can like assess that and monitor that and filter that. Yeah, that's fascinating actually. So you're saying like the physiologic components, uh, you know, and I guess it makes sense intuitively mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that there is a, uh, a psychological uh, interconnection between the physiologic effects on on the human body through mm -hmm. these products, and, and it, we've been traditionally very lax on what we bring into our own personal environments. I mean, the workplace in the United States under OSHA, a lot, a lot of things are regulated fairly well in a work environment, but in the home environment, the stuff you can buy in you know in off the shelf on a store, you know, our personal care products, and it's crazy, right? Cleaning products, absolutely, not, yeah, you pretty do. obtrusive. Yeah. And we, I mean, like right now I'm like just sitting here and I can smell like the conditioner 
in my hair. I, I can constantly, like, I'm not even getting used to it. I can just like keep smelling it. Like the fabric softener or like the things on my clothes, the coffee I'm drinking. We're, yeah, very relaxed, especially I think in the United States, we're a bit like, I think pretty relaxed about the things that we bring into our homes. Yeah, in many cases, it's not only things we bring into our homes, but we bring into our workplaces too. I mean, people mm -hmm. bring in a, a, a canister of Vibreeze and spray their, their area, right? I mean, they mm -hmm. forget that those are chemicals that they're, they're you know, are now you know, entering into their work zone and other people's work zone as well, and not necessarily well-vented workspaces in many cases. So exactly. I, I named a product. I named a product. I, I, I will say that Procter & Gamble is about to come after us really hard with that. Uh, you know, let, let's not single them out. There's there's, there's literally thousands many of, of them. that we bring in every day. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. But I, I, I will I will tell my Procter & Gamble friends that I was uh, meaning a wider span of products, not just them. Um, but... Uh, that is interesting. So basically, you come—you uh, both come from different backgrounds to some extent, but you're also coming uh, to indoor air quality as being, you know, an issue of concern. And certainly, that seems to uh, be panning out right now, where there's a lot of interest in indoor air quality. So we'll start with uh, with Jordan. How, with your educational background as ecology and environmental engineering, you became interested in indoor air quality. What's your next steps? What are you planning to do in terms of uh, using that that uh, capabilities? Yeah. So uh, during my master's degree, the last two years, I actually graduated. I technically graduated my master's degree earlier this month, but the last two years we were designing an instrument and like creating an instrument um, that'll help us basically assess the relationship between the indoor air quality, built environment, products that we bring into our home and physiological health in human participants. Mm -hmm. So that's the next step will be like implementing this instrument, um, starting our study and seeing what we can learn from there. <laughs> great, great. So that's yeah. just getting started. You, you've just started that this uh, just recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ki kind of. It's been like a work in progress for the last You had some years, build up yeah. to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you can, but now you're actually getting to doing the actual experimentation, yes. I guess. Yeah, so that's exciting. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Satra, your dissertation for your civil engineering bachelor and master's degrees was assessing personal uh, exposure to PM 2.5 in transport micro uh, environments. Can you kind of describe to us what we were researching about PM 2.5 and personal exposure? To uh, PM 2.5, as we were talking earlier, has been very much in the news lately. And I was just wondering how you're relating what you're doing uh, in terms of the dissertation and where, where does your research lead from here? Yeah, so in my uh, bachelor's and master's thesis, uh, we conducted a measurement campaign in India where we collected the PM 2.5 uh, data from the high occupancy bus transits, like the public transits, and also we measured the PM 2.5 exposure for pedestrians in the sidewalks. So uh, in the measurement campaign, it was like about uh, six months, we did collection of data in both the buses and for pedestrians. And for pedestrians, we found that uh, for PM 2.5 exposure, there exists a concentration gradient that showed that uh, with increasing height, there is a reduction in PM 2.5 concentrations. And also we found that external factors such as wind speed, the traffic volume and traffic composition, they do affect this PM 2.5 exposure. For example, higher wind speed would 
disperse the particles more efficiently that reduce the overall exposure and higher traffic volume and some type kind of uh, the vehicles can lead to uh, elevated pm 2.5 levels so that's what were the major findings for the pedestrians uh, in public transits apart from pm 2.5 i developed a wifi max scanner so uh, using a two level filtration algorithm we were also getting the data for real time occupancy inside the public transits because like it's a high occupancy environment and uh, one of the major results over there was we found that the pm 2.5 levels inside the cabins of public transits they are positively correlated to the occupancy the number of people inside the public transits so it's like indicating the more crowded the public transits are the pm 2.5 levels are higher so these were some of the findings that were in my uh, bachelor's and master's thesis so you that, said that, uh, go ahead sorry, uh, bob go ahead. i just add a follow up on that quick so you know, it makes that makes sense but i just just curious what type of uh, levels you know typically were you finding <laughs> in the outdoor environment as far as pm 2.5 you know and and i know that probably varies greatly based on what's going on but i mean just give it give us an idea of what kind of a range you know you were typically running into uh, so uh, these were real time measurements in uh, one minute intervals so for uh, pedestrians in outdoor environment the, the measurements were in india chennai so the levels were about greater than i would say 40 microgram per meter cube somewhere about that but in close spaces like buses we were uh, you know like getting about more than 50 or 60 microgram per meter cube that's from there yes that's pretty high Okay. So, so you said, uh, I believe it was Chennai that, uh, that you did these experiments in. Uh, yes. yes. Have you ha had you had any opportunity, or do you know of anybody else who's doing it in other cities in India at this point? This type of uh, measurements. I am not sure about it. Like if they are doing it right now, but uh, there are definitely other studies that have measured the PM two point five on other pollutant levels inside uh, different transport uh, modes. And that, and is there some uh, follow-up here in the in the in North America that you might be doing as well in terms of those tests? Uh, I have not come across, and that that should definitely be some studies that are doing. But uh, uh, my focus shifted from the transportation mode to indoor air quality in residential buildings, as I said earlier in 2018. That was the time when I got the scholarship. I came to Purdue University. and it's funny because i worked as an undergrad researcher in the same lab that i'm currently doing my phd with dr boor and that's where i uh, i started my research on indoor air quality and then i was like okay fine this is something that affects almost everyone because we spend most of our time indoor made be in homes in offices in school so it's like okay fine this topic is much more in, of interest to me so i shifted from those uh, like pollutant uh, measurements in uh, transportation modes to measuring the particles inside buildings yeah i mean i was in india 7 uh, years ago in delhi in particular and uh, this was august uh, about this time of year actually and i remember i we, we never saw the sun 
uh, it was it was it was definitely it was definitely a, a polluted time of year. Um, but you know that that's also now with the uh, the fires in uh, wildfires in North America and elsewhere. Uh, this is becoming a big focus of of concern mm -hmm. for people about PM point two point five and and uh, how it affects people's health. You, you have any insights in, on that at this point? So uh, uh, definitely, like the fine particles, the PM 2.5, which you talk about, which is the particulate mass uh, for particles that are less than 2.5 micron. And uh, we do see a lot of sources outdoor that has, like produce this high level of PM 2.5, like wildfires, also indoors, like some of the sources like cooking, they produce all these ultra fine particles that can contribute to respiratory burden for us. Like uh, these fine particles can definitely go deeper into our lungs and they can go into the tracheobronchial or even deeper into pulmonary regions that can definitely uh, cause some adverse health effects. So uh, particularly in buildings where people spend most of their times and also outdoors and the buildings are also important because the outdoor air if it's polluted that is again being brought back into the buildings so it's all connected and then the human health that we are again breathing in that air so and yeah. we've not we've not traditionally in the indoor environmental industry really focused on ultra fine particles you know, because yeah. a lot of practitioners are out there with six channel particle monitors, you know, and you're looking at, you know, usually the, the 0.3 or 0.1 micron, yes. you know, mm -hmm. to 10 micron is what we spend, you know, at least as consultants, we spend a lot of time looking at that in field studies. And, and the ultrafines obviously, you know, pose, a, I think, a significantly greater risk because mm -hmm. our body really doesn't have defense mechanisms against mm -hmm. those. Definitely. So it's more about like the measurement techniques, I guess, for like 0.3 cutoff that you just mentioned. Most of the optical instruments can measure that, the low cost one, but for measuring these ultrafine particles, we need specialized instruments, something like SMPS, like or something that can charge these smaller particles and then that they can be detected. But they, yes, these ultrafine particles are definitely, uh, because they have a much higher potency due to their very small size, but higher, surface area they can carry more toxins so they are definitely something of concern both in outdoor I, and aware. indoor I was, I was gonna say I'm, I'm aware of too of a lot of uh, a lot of handheld or not some handheld technology mm -hmm. uh, com, uh, you know that coming from traditional laser particle counter manufacturing companies are going to be offering that in the not too distant future where they will have you know, affordable, you know, I'm there's still going to be several thousand dollar devices, but devices that can in real time look at, uh, you know, smaller size than the 0.1 micron size particles. I mean, currently like the handheld stuff agglomerates or that's really the way it does it. It doesn't, it's not really measuring the ultrafine. It's kind of agglomerating it to a one micron size, right? And then doing a read of that anyway. So uh, Jordan, um, with your educational background in psychology and environmental engineering, uh, you're now getting a, a, a PhD or a, a doctor in philosophy specifically on uh, your doctorate presentation is coming on indoor air quality assessment and an impact on human health and well-being. Can you could just kind of describe what your what your research is, is going to be about and, and what you have found out, if anything, at this point? Yeah. 
So, like I said, uh, we spent the last two years developing an instrument, and in the near future, we will be testing this out with um, in our studies. So, the instrument essentially is a chamber that uses uh, pollutant-free air and, like, well, like particle-free air, free of excess ozone and things like that, uh, to assess emissions from different household products. Um, from there, we can we use mass spec to. Um, see what like the behaviors of the different VOCs in household products. So the first thing we want to test is like a wax warmer, uh, see what the different con like emissions are going to be like for different kinds of wax. And then uh, we can dilute these samples and at the different dilutions, we can put them out through a sniffing port and have participants sniff them. And from there, we will use a questionnaire to see what their perceptions are, as well as like measure different physiological factors over a short period of time. This is like a short term study. So uh, after about half an hour, see if their heart rate increases, blood oxygen saturation increases or decreases, and what their perception of these different scents are, and if there's like any uh, sort of correlation between their like their physiological stress levels and their perceptions of these different scents. And then we can see what VOCs were present at the time. So that'll be what is coming up in the near future. Very excited about this project. As far as anything to report at the time, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not so yet. It's just a lot of testing of the instrument. <laughs> so what kind of instrumentation are you using to do the sniff test? To do the sniff, so as far as like questionnaires or like as far as like no, you mentioned the, that they that they actually are sniffing the the uh, the odor and then you know they're giving you their perceptions of yes. that. Uh, yeah, I mean I've done some of that work. I maybe mean, it's been mm -hmm. a long time, but mm -hmm. you can do a, like an odor panel type of thing where you basically have different people uh, sit on a on a and then sniff it and then record what it is that they're doing. Uh, is your experimentation somewhat similar to that, or is there a different take? Or it's Based off of it, kind of, um, we're using the Geneva uh, mm -hmm. odor assessment survey. And then we have a stainless steel sniffing port that was actually right. already manufactured that we bought that they would normally use on like a sniffing panel. Um, and we are just using those in combination with each other, but just with like individual uh, individuals on like a blind study, they won't know what's actually inside and seeing what their perception is uh, at different dilutions. So it is based off the odor panel, but there will be like no communication like between people. And then we'll have a smartwatch on them to measure uh, physiological factors over time. Is there a, uh, are, you, are you specifically looking for certain people who are perhaps a little bit more sensitive to odors as part of your panel? Not particularly, because kind of what we want to represent is like everyday use. Um, mm -hmm. like everyday products and like the average person. We will be screening for if you have sensitivities to certain things, especially like allergies. Mm -hmm. um, and actually one of um, the members of my committee, a psychologist, he brought up recently to gauge if people have, um, if there are things that they normally just like sense or flavors or odors that they don't find pleasant that maybe other people find pleasant to ask them beforehand. Uh, things that they find pleasant that normal people don't, or that the average person doesn't find pleasant and what their favorite food dishes are to kind mm -hmm. of screen for any sort of bias. Right. But we are not looking for people who are extra sensitive. We're kind of looking for like the average person. But if the average, but if say this average person really likes the smell of gasoline and maybe likes things that are very similar, <laughs> we will want to know that beforehand or like Sharpie or things like that. Right. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking is that you, mm -hmm. you're looking not necessarily for people who are extra sharp on these odors, but you don't we certainly don't want to have people who are going to have, uh, you know, highly adverse 
reactions to the odors either. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Like that I would not, yeah. I recently found out that I'm allergic to citronella, which, oh, is, there you popular, go. which is pretty popular. Yeah. That's yeah, that, used yeah. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating too, like one of one of the other shows that I produced, we had Dr. Rich Corsi on, who is and where is where, he's he's down in California now, right? He moved right. You see, he's, he's because he was in Portland and he, he yeah. went from Austin, Texas. But uh, you know, his, one of the comments that he made, I thought was really fascinating on one of the, their previous studies, the home chem study down from Austin University of Texas, uh, is that you know that you know what is the what is the smell of clean in our indoor environment? There should be no smell. That's really yeah. you know like we 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 we've been conditioned to associate you know lemon fresh or you know these, these different scents and these esters that you know fragrances that are added to products but they're that clean should be the absence of all odor right i mean yeah like the absolute like the marketing is has it's a crazy ha- yeah the marketing has such an influence on what we think is clean like the smell of bleach like i personally when something smells like bleach i'm like excellent it is clean but in no way should i be smelling bleach as often as i would like to be or I believe the same with like, um, un- I prefer unscented like laundry detergent, mm-hmm. but that's also very like controversial. Not a lot of people, it's really hard to get unscented because people want the smell of clean laundry. Yeah. yeah. The thing or- is, it's really not the smell of clean laundry. It's the yeah. smell of chemical additives that make a fragrance, you know? It's exactly. Not- <laughs> the smell of clouds, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating subject all to unto itself. And if you start getting into odor perception and odor reactions, uh, I spent a lot of time doing that when I was a bit younger, like mm-hmm. 25 years ago, uh, for, for for discharges from uh, facilities. So you're, you're, you're taking what was done in many cases in the outdoor environment and bringing it indoor to, to determine what, what type of products are, are, mm-hmm. are you know, going to have that kind of reaction. So that's a that's a unique way of doing that. What what do you anticipate will be the time frame for, for doing this uh, experimentation? So like the time frame for the study overall, we yeah. are looking at one or two semesters. So we're looking at this fall and spring. And after that, we're hoping that we will have everything, at least for this version of the study that we need. And we can start uh, at least after fall, start uh, looking at the data, putting it together. And I assume publish it at some point too. Yeah, yeah. we've been working so hard. We definitely want to publish it. Right. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so I had a question. Let me just get it. Satra, you have recently received a number of uh, awards for um, uh, your presentations uh, and, um, and an ASHRAE grant and aid award too for outstanding graduate students. Uh, congratulations. Um, Thank you. And can you give us a little bit of information uh, about um, the research that you conducted to be recognized for these two awards? Sure. So uh, for the best student presenter award at the Healthy Building Conference, I presented a part of my PhD uh, research, which was on uh, new particle formation in residential buildings. So new particle formation is a topic that has been extensively studied in outdoor environments, but is relatively less explored for indoor spaces. Uh, it is a two-step process that involves the formation of particles from the gas phase precursors and then their growth to larger sizes. So we conducted a field campaign here at Purdue at the Purdue ZH test house to test some of these common indoor activities such as cleaning, use of aromatherapy product. And we found out that these products can uh, trigger indoor new particle formation. 
and then we found out that the formation and growth rates for these indo-new particle events are significantly higher than what is being reported for outdoor environments so this was the part of the research that i presented at the healthy buildings conference and as it is great that this uh, uh, presentation received the award for the ashra grantin award i received this grant as a full time graduate student working on research that aligns with ashra's focus on high performance building and expert technologies so my uh, planned dissertation is on indoor particle dynamics in residential buildings that spans from few nanometers to tens of micrometers so this award was based on several evaluation criteria including uh, academic performance the quality of my thesis plan and uh, recommendation from my advisors great you know those are two uh, outstanding awards to get and uh... I, uh, I, I, I again congratulate you on getting those. So, Thank but uh, our other, other, uh, shall we say, guests also has received some awards recently. Uh, you had uh, a 2023 third place award uh, in Healthy Buildings Europe, the same conference that uh, Savi just was talking about, and President's election, uh, uh, Presidential Excellence Awardee. I assume that's from Isiac. If I'm correct, is that I right? I believe that was from Purdue, I think. Oh, Purdue, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was from Purdue. I think uh, all states, or maybe not state schools, but public schools have some version of that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the final uh, uh, first place uh, poster award for NSBE, which is? National Society of Black Engineers. I see. And that was a Technical Research Expo. You got a first place in that as well. So, you know, if you could give us some description of some of the work that you had, particularly for the two posters. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the healthy buildings one was a little bit more updated, but I essentially laid out the systems that we're using for the chamber that I was speaking about uh, earlier and how we intend to use it, which I'm really glad resonated with people because I wasn't sure if anyone was going to find that quite, quite as interesting as I do. But essentially with that, I broke down like the different systems that we're incorporating into the chamber. We have we designed a relative humidity system to control the humidity, humidity that we have inside the chamber to represent what would the outside air would be. But we are doing that with um, deionized water to make sure that it is pollutant free as far as we can get uh, control. We have fans inside the chamber that will circulate the air. We have um, a temperature and relative humidity probe so we can monitor that via lab view. Um, two mass flow controllers that control the wet and dry air that go inside of the chamber. Uh, we have also purchased a, a zero air generator uh, to make sure that all the air that goes in is uh, super, super filtered. Um, and then of course we are diluting that at different uh, intervals and putting out through the stainless steel sniffing port and given to our participant with an IRB approval, of course, um, and seeing how they perceive that and how their body perceives it. So just breaking all of that down, um, I presented that with the posters, which again, these were my first two posters that I'd ever done at a conference. So I'm really glad that they resonated with people. Well, no, it's great. You know, it, it's always good to get that feedback. And, and, and <laughs> I find that, you know, being at the conferences where you do have posters, there's a lot more interaction with the, uh, with the presenters and the people who are passing by 
rather mm -hmm. than in the, in the actual uh, presentations where people might be afraid to raise their hand and, and, and ask what they consider to be perhaps not a very bright question. You can say yeah. all the crazy things at the poster. Nobody really is recording any of it. So it kind of mm -hmm. gives you some freedom to do that. So. Yeah, I did appreciate that one-on-one -on -one interaction, especially at Healthy Buildings, where it was very niche and everyone mm -hmm. had a pretty good idea about indoor air quality and uh, the environment. So that was very, very nice. And uh, Satra, you, you also received a, a Ross Fellowship, which recognizes ac academic excellence uh, with four year of uh, stipend salary and tuition coverage at uh, Purdue. That You awarded that in 2020. Can you tell us more about the Ro Ross Fellowship and what the student applicant needs to present in order to receive the award? Sure. Uh, so uh, I believe Roche Fellowship at Purdue, it's a recruitment fellowship. So all the incoming graduate students that apply uh, at Purdue are automatically considered for this. Uh, it's granted by the department and is mostly evaluated based on past academic achievements and the potential to do well in graduate school. I believe my early exposure to research here at Purdue through the Purdue Undergraduate Research Experience Scholarship helped me a lot to get this award. And is the award, did you ever find out what, why it was called the Russell Award? What was the, what, the name have, of the individual? I have no clue about <laughs> okay. why it's named as the Ross. Yeah, no, I usually it's somebody who's, you know, who's, you know, I mean, a professor or has been a, a large donor, donator or something of that mm -hmm. nature, but it's always My, good to get, yeah, good to get an award of that nature, that's for sure. So that's a four-year award too, I guess, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's for the entire four years of my PhD. Ah, so you'll be still, that will still be happening this year then for you. Yes. Good, good. Um, and so for both of you, I'll, I'll give you both a chance. Obviously, you've, 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 you, both of you, because of the uh, presentations that you've done, attended Healthy Buildings 2023 uh, conference in Aachen, Germany. I'll start with uh, Jordan. Can you kind of give us a, a, what your thoughts are about some of the interesting papers and presentations that you found at the conference? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I have only spoken about chambers. Like I'm a big fan of chambers. Um, <laughs> they're my favorite. But there was actually two um, groups there that also built chambers for very similar purposes um, as we did at Purdue. And actually, uh, in my notes, one of them was IMT Nord Europe. They actually also designed an old faction chamber uh, for, they did more of a traditional odor profile to my understanding. They had a panel and they did again, like a stainless steel sniffing port. Um, and they had a, like a judge, a panel of panelists <laughs> of judges to assess uh, building materials that they were constructing. I think they were working towards more environmentally friendly um, bricks to use. I think they called them bio bricks. And they were assessing the smell and odor that they that these bricks were giving off and essentially having a panel review what the impact or what the how positive or negative, pleasant or unpleasant that these building materials are. So I thought that was very interesting because as far as I was aware, we are one of the only ones um, doing an olfaction chamber for this kind of purpose uh, as far as uh, household building products. And then there was another group, uh, the German Federal Institute for Risk Assessment. They are using microchambers to look at household products. I think they were primarily looking at clothing, like raincoats, 
and things of that nature that have like a specific um, material or texture to them. They were not using human participants, but they were doing a mass spec to look at different VOCs that were given off by these um, different materials. I, I want to say like, I don't know if, um, but like sort of like Teflon-esque materials. Um, and I know that they were using that data to apply to like human uh, risk assessment as well. So I thought that was really interesting uh, that they were very kind of like similar studies to us, but for, in different variations. I was excited to talk to them and to see that. I imagine you did some exchange uh, with uh, of cards or, or nowadays, of course, you just do it through the phones, of course, but I'm yeah, fashion that way. Some, some uh, LinkedIn uh, networking. <laughs> Networking, yeah. So, how did you mm -hmm. find the networking at these at the, that particular conference? Were you able to meet uh, some interesting and new uh, colleagues? Yeah, I at first, I think Satya and I were both very shocked to how small the conference was going to be. How many people was it, Satya? Like four hundred or six hundred? Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, it was smaller than like AGUs or something or ACS. Yeah, when normally the ones that we go to are like 12,000 people, 13,000 people, 16,000 people. So I think at first we were like, oh, that's like really small, but it should be nice. But when you got there and you went to some of the networking events and you saw the same people over and over again, and then you'd be like, oh my gosh, I met that. I talked to that person. Now they have a, a very specialized talk I can go attend and talk to them afterwards because we already have a relationship a little bit. It was, I found it very pleasant. <laughs> Um, it was very good for networking, especially um, because uh, it was a lot of the people that we work with who are, norm are overseas, normally the, some of the people that we collaborate with. It was my first time being able to meet them in person. That's um, great. Yeah, so it was very exciting. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait for the next one. Well, the next one, I believe, is uh, is one in 2024 in Honolulu, Hawaii. So we'll see if we make it to that particular conference. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm just raising my eyebrows. To, yeah, it like, <laughs> well, uh, seems it might be a little. It seems harder to get to Hawaii right now than it was to get to Germany. Yeah, yeah. That well, certainly with the disaster they had with the fire there, certainly it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Obviously, and it's not until 2024. I think it's September, if I remember. Uh, uh, it's uh, Richard Shaughnessy's postponed, multi-time po postponed because of the pandemic conference that he's trying to run there. Uh, we know Richard Shaughnessy through the uh, mm -hmm. University of Tulsa and through a lot of other. Uh, he's the chair of, the, of that particular conference in Healthy Buildings America. So oh, a little okay. bit different. A little bit different. So, Sacha, how was your experience in Germany? I learned a lot. Definitely, I learned a lot. Attending different talks. Uh, I initially thought there won't be much about particles. It will be about more VOCs, but I was surprised to find like there were talks about particles, uh, about the dynamics of particles. Uh, if I remember, there was a talk from Prof. Kinnis group from the University of Texas, where they uh, discussed how indoor fungal communities had an overlap in different uh, locations inside the homes so we are currently in a project where we are collecting dust indoor dust and analyzing that so that was pretty similar and then i was i really learned a lot from that presentation also there were some talks about the particle dynamics the resuspension of particles if i remember correctly from uh, prof listeners group at epfl where their where their group presented a 
mannequin based study on the impact of clothing and air speed on the deposition of inalienable particles so yes i did talk to all of them the profs who were like we were reading their papers now it was a platform where i could literally talk to them and then have some ideas and then learn from whatever they are doing so it was a great learning experience for me yeah i think that's the big advantages of conferences over even these types of webinars or, or webcasts the interacting interaction you have at a conference is in many cases a lot different than what you have uh you know through uh, zoom or some other uh, means Definitely. so it's uh, it's good to do that um so uh, to come down to the last question i will give it to Jordan first, mm -hmm. uh, and that basically is, do you have some thoughts on as to what is the future uh, like look like for research in indoor air quality, particularly the area that you're doing in the research on, in at this point? Yeah, so I think a lot of people ask me how I went from psychology to engineering and the transition seems so natural to me, like that there should be a lot of interdisciplinary research between two fields. And I think that we are going to approach a lot like a more interdisciplinary perspective going forward, uh, looking at indoor air quality. And I think that's already happening, maybe, but perhaps like that is my bias. So I think a lot of like more collaboration between fields, specifically psychology or sociology, anthropology and engineering, which I think will give birth to a lot of like very interesting projects similar to what I'm doing, but that has a lot of emphasis between residents and consumers or perhaps like a lot of emphasis on like social responsibility of engineers. I think that's really, really big. And I think that's becoming more of a topic in traditional engineering uh, for like undergraduates, like topics in their kind of like core classes. So I think it's really, really good. Um, it's something that I look forward to a lot as I go through my career. But I also think as technology involves, instruments will become more advanced, but communicating with, with collaborators, I think will also become easier. One, I think there's more uh, ways to get access to uh, conferences like healthy buildings. Before the pandemic, I was not very familiar with Zoom or uh, video calling in any way, really, for professional uses, only for personal uses. So I think like uh, platforms like this or Zoom have really uh, been able to like make it very like make it very easy to access collaborators and talk to them and be able to work on projects together, joint uh, efforts on funding and things like that. So I'm very happy to see how that's been working out in the course of like my two, uh, two years in grad school. So I'm looking forward to seeing like how I can reach out to the people that I met at Healthy Buildings, set up a Zoom call with them and work on projects in the future as well. And Satya, what's your thoughts on the future of indoor air quality research? So I guess uh, now it's a time where more people are keen to know about the air that we are breathing. So as this awareness grows, there's definitely going to be uh, a lot more data collection. So we will see an influx of huge data sets, like what we are doing in different measurement campaigns, different groups across the world. They are collecting data to know more about what is in the air. So with all this data, like machine learning and AI will certainly come into this indoor air quality community where we will be using machine learning to make sense of this data and then to visualize this data, identify patterns 
and then come up with solutions that are tailor made for specific environments so the possibilities are definitely endless as people are collecting more data as uh, jordan mentioned a collaboration between different groups it's like exchanging data it's, it will be definitely a data rich interdisciplinary uh, field and it will involve definitely the use of machine learning and ai in the future and that makes total sense too because it seems like a, there's been obviously a, a plethora of research over the you know past decade in indoor environmental um but it's siloed right i mean you know different mm -hmm. universities different studies everything's and it's not uh, and it really hasn't been a a great way to extrapolate you know broadly across all, all the information that's out there so you know i think ai probably will come into play largely on that to be able to yeah. really look at larger data sets and, mm -hmm. and probably be more meaningful so mm -hmm. There yeah, are definitely a lot of online communities for uh, outdoor data quality. So I believe as like more and more people will collect indoor data, there might come up something similar where we can have some kind of on uh, online networks of indoor data which can transfer, talk to each other, and like see the bigger picture of it. That's all really exciting. I mean, I, throw, I, I have to, I, I, Don, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw out the fact that, you know, the global community platform that we've set up, uh, which is free now, uh, is, uh, you, you know, it, it do, would give you, afford you that opportunity to set up a space yeah. and actually have that community yeah. amongst, you know, uh, researchers around the world to be able to share data and actually even video chat in real time on it and everything. So it's, uh, that's one of the things that we've been really pushing hard with Healthy Indoors is to create that space because there really isn't a space collectively where every, it's, you know, a repository, but more importantly, a space where people can actually get together and meet. So, um, yeah. So stay tuned with that too. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also put in a little plug here for, for both of you to, to consider two organizations that I've been associated with for, for many, many years that do a lot of indoor air quality work, uh, but are not necessarily uh, specifically research, although research is a big part of one of them. And that's ASHRAE, uh, American Society of uh, Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. Uh, they have a program uh, each year that they, uh, they look at current... Um, applications for research um, into a variety of different uh, you know, units of, for, for example, uh, in heating and ventilation, but also in indoor air quality. And those grants can go up to as much as two, two million a year. Uh, so it's something that you might want to consider getting on there and seeing what's what's what, uh, because obviously, you know, part of the game is getting the, getting the money in so that you can do the research you want to do. And so getting a, a proper application in would be would be good. The other one is American Industrial Hygiene Association. Uh, Jordan, I, I, I heard a number of different professionals that you included in what you think should be the, the future. I, I would ask you to consider definitely including indoor uh, in, uh, industrial hygienists as part of that group. Um, they are now in the process of doing something called uh, the Grand Challenges. And their Grand Challenges will go from 15 to 20 years from now. There's mm -hmm. a lot of strategic planning as well, but one of the things that's coming up is the inequality in, in, in exposures, uh, which is definitely a big issue in many places. So you might want to consider uh, at least looking at their web pages and, hey, attend one of their conferences too. You never know what you might you know, run into in terms of people that are, are um, you know, talking about these topics. So Yeah, and is um, their acronym AIHA? AIHA, yes. Uh, so their website would be AIHA.org. And um, you can certainly get in there and, and, you know, there's technical committees specifically indoor environmental quality, but also a number of other factors as well. Uh, 
and it, it's a it's a I would say a forward looking type of organization because um, they have people who have done this type of work for many many years going back as far back as the 1930s uh, in in this area and it's it's important to have the interaction between the various groups in that regard that's one of the reasons why we do this particular broadcast is to allow people to hear different different uh, perspectives. Mm -hmm. So before we close out, uh, I'll give you both an opportunity to um, to express yourself as to what you're what you're thinking, uh, you know, is important right now. What are the three most important things that you would you would want to get get across in terms of the research that you're doing? I'll start with Jordan. Oh, man, I was hoping you start with Satya. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a really well, you brought up a little bit of uh, the organization that you're speaking about. Um, talking about uh, inequality, uh, definitely a bridge between what I was interested in psychology and engineering is that I started to learn a lot in my undergrad about uh, environmental justice and environmental inequality, which eventually, eventually led me to look into how I can study the built environment and its impact on people, specifically in health. So I guess the most important things that I would say to look at right now is how, as individuals, we can address uh, environmental inequality in the places that we live. I'm from South Florida, where there's a lot of hurricanes. Yes, right of, now, in fact. <laughs> right, as we speak, in fact. <laughs> a lot of hurricanes and natural disasters don't affect everybody uh, equally, as we know from Maui and as we know from hurricanes, especially things that happen like Hurricane Katrina. So uh, I would encourage everybody. And I think even in indoor, of course, in indoor air quality, this does not affect everybody uh, equally. Some people still have like lead paint in their uh, apartments and homes. So I would uh, encourage everyone to look at the topics that have to do with uh, the environments near them and how they can become active in addressing problems in their own societies. Uh, but as far as indoor air quality, I would encourage everybody to be very mindful about what is absolutely necessary to be fragranced in their homes. <laughs> like okay. if you really need to use the lemon scented uh, product on your floors, or if you can use a non-scented one, and then if you can and open your windows afterwards and try to get the air moving, I would encourage everybody to consider this idea. Yeah, open the windows except when they have wildfires. Don't open them then. <laughs> yeah, the wildfires actually really got to us here in Indiana. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, well, the, and that's truly like, Don, you hit, you hit on that, the, the paradigm with that. Like in, in North America, in the United States especially, we've always had this mindset of, you know, fresh outside air. But that's not always the case right? in India, mm -hmm. in China, in, in many places. And, they, and now in North America with the wildfires, the outside air often is not better than the inside air. And it's really not a good strategy to make the indoor environment better. You know, so, so Satcher, what are your three, what are your three uh, thoughts in terms of what, uh, what the future is going to bring in the in indoor air quality? Uh, so I would say like better ventilation, definitely like have good ventilated indoor spaces, maybe use of more portable air cleaners that have good quality, like HEPA filters that can basically clean out the indoor air that we are breathing in uh, because uh, we never know like a lot of things that we use, like the scented products, like not common household activities like cooking, cleaning, all these do create a lot of new particles that can grow into this ultrafine particles that we breathe in. So we should be mindful of what we are using indoors and 
uh, like source illumination if that's not a thing that we can really achieve right now but definitely some control measures like get good ventilation use some of these portable air cleaners and so keeping track of all this and if possible track your indoor air quality not just pm 2.5 which people always track on because this is heavily like uh dominated by the larger particles but also the ultra fine particles see how the particle levels are for the sub 100 nanometers so it's 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 about the awareness of people to go from okay fine we have a metric of pm 2.5 but also there are some other like ultra fine particles sub 10 nanometer particles so we have to look as a holistic picture of the entire particle spectrum and then understand it better and then prevent it using all those prevention like techniques well i thank you both for for appearing today i th- i like the ideas that you came up with and i'm i'm glad that you're thinking of those areas because uh, i agree with you there's a lot out there that needs to be dealt with and uh, we just haven't had a chance to do it you're you're at the forefront of this right now the type of research that you're doing is going to be very important for a lot of people who are doing field uh, investigations right now so thank you very much for what you do and uh, i hope you've uh, had a good time talking to us today yes thank you for yes, having us thank- Thank you for having us. It was great. It's, it's so relatively Bob? painless. It's a painless program. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're not too know, bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, it's, we're not really investigative journalists, so uh, we're not, we're not going to, you know, grill you too hard. Uh, so again, uh, reminding everyone that uh, this broadcast, uh, you know, was a joint collaboration between uh, ISIAC, the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate, and the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, which, of course, my co-host Don is the president still. Yeah, Don, who is supposedly retired. And is on more committees than any retired person I've ever seen in my life. It's like, if that's retired, I, I hate to think of what your actual work schedule was before you retired. <laughs> it was a lot simpler. I just went into the office. Now I have yeah, these yeah, type of right. conversations with people mm-hmm. all over the world. Yeah. So it's been re- really great. Uh, so thank you very much. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll catch you next time, probably next month. So uh, we'll be back again uh, with the Indoor Environment Show at a not too uh, distant future date. I'm not even sure what our next date is, but it, usually it's once a month ish. You know, once a month. right around once a month. You know, and, and usually it ends at. around 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time, uh, U.S. Time, uh, U, uh, UTC minus five. Like you really need to know that. And again, remember you can uh, catch uh, all the shows. Uh, by going to uh, the Healthy Indoors, uh, Healthy Indoors Online Global uh, Community platform. And that's, uh, again, global.healthyindoors.com. All the shows reside there. All are back. So it'll be 21 episodes there now. Um, and a lot of other great stuff. So by all means. So until next time, uh, stay healthy. And we'll see you all soon. Uh, you too, if you could stay for a second uh, after the show is closed out. Appreciate it. <laughs>